Welcome to Tackling the NFL. I'm Josh Rosenberg. We are back after a crazy week six of action. Lots of fun games, some very surprising outcomes. And as always, I am bringing on my friend, my co-host, my partner, Adam Baltax, to recap this week's games. But also, Adam, before you come in, I'd like to say that we have not one, not two, but three guests coming on this week. So stay tuned. Adam, now, yeah, we, to get to you, how are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> How's it going uh, for you? It's going pretty good. This was definitely a very strange week in, in football. A bunch of weird results. I mean, that's just, that's just the 2020 season wrapped up. It's just weird. This entire, this entire COVID business, and it's just it's all very weird. Yeah, I, I think it's almost reconfirmed some of my pre-existing notions, sort of, just because, like, I came into this week thinking there aren't really any great teams, even, except for maybe the Chiefs, and I came out of it thinking there's definitely not any great teams. There's a lot of teams <laughs> that are good but have significant flaws, which is going to make it a really exciting postseason, and I swear we start every episode now saying, wow, that was a weird week, because it always is. <laughs> it it that, always is this year. It, and that makes it fun. But before we get yeah. into any of the games and any of our guests and all the cool stuff we have planned for you this week, let's start with the news that broke today at about noon with my beloved Miami Dolphins, who announced that Tua Tagovailoa, the number five overall pick, the prodigy, the, phenom- the phenomenon that sparked tank for Tua, is going to be starting when they come out of the bye week against the Los Angeles Rams. Adam, your thoughts. <sighs> okay. I love Tua. Tua is a great quarterback. He was amazing in Alabama. Obviously, he's going to be the face of that future for the next decade. I don't think that this is the right place to put him back in the, in the offense. They are playing against Aaron Donald, who, which is it's basically like going against two defensive lines because you got the rest of the guys and then you got Aaron Donald. It's going to be a mess. I, 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 like, I like the Dolphins' offensive line. I was actually pretty impressed with them last week. I don't think anyone can stop Aaron Donald. He's going to bulldoze through, and he's going to make Tua's debut a rough time. So I happen to agree with you to an extent. So, yes, Aaron Donald, like, as we saw when Alex Smith came in, he got sacked six times in, like, a half, essentially, by, uh, by Aaron Donald and company. And that is the exact worst possible thing for a quarterback coming off of a serious hip injury, uh, which Tua is, which is why he's not starting until now. The thing is, I think it might be worth it to give him the bye week to prepare. You're bringing a young quarterback in. You want him to have as much time to focus on one team. But the problem is, if they waited one more week, and that, that shortens his practice time by a full week. So, so it's significant. There's very much a trade-off here. They could have had the Cardinals, then the Broncos, then the Jets, then the Bengals. Those are a lot easier defenses than Aaron Donald. And the problem is, is that Aaron Donald is going to be going up against an interior of the Dolphins' offensive line that's not very strong. Eric Flowers, who they brought in in free agency, has not been very good. I honestly don't even know who's starting at this point in the other two at the at the center and other guard position. Yeah, I think Karras is their center or something like that. Yes, okay. He's actually not terrible. But again, yeah. it's all very much like mediocre players who have a chance to be decent if they were lucky. And that's not what I want to see going up against Aaron Donald when we're bringing in the franchise quarterback. Yeah, it, it, I think that it'll be a very one-sided battle on the interior so we have a chance to see Tua really impressed this week yeah if he can escape that pocket it would show great pocket awareness which is was, was actually one of Tua's strong shoots in college absolutely and if he can play well this week I think the Dolphins are set for a long time yeah no if he plays well this week we're gonna see a really fun next four weeks because if he can torch the if he can play well against the Rams he's gonna burn a bunch of these other defenses that are coming up and not to mention 
that actually on a completely other note, but still with Tua, were you watching when he came into the game against the Jets? <laughs> I was. Were you as scared as I was when he dropped back and I forgot that he was a lefty and I thought he was, I was like I was I was very surprised because he was in the end zone something was off I, yeah. was, I, I thought something was going wrong I, I like stood uh, up was, I like I thought he was I thought he like tripped I like stood up I thought he tripped and he was like hurting himself it's like oh no wait he's the lefty a safety would be the worst possible start to to NFL career apparently there hasn't been a lefty quarterback since 2015 I think in the NFL so it's been a while Michael Vick was he the last one. I don't think he played in 2015. It's probably some random like backup. He was, on, he was sure. a backup on the Steelers in 2015, I think. Maybe Michael Vick. And I'm not actually <laughs> sure. But so it should be exciting. As a Dolphins fan, I'm thrilled. A little scared, but very happy. But let's get into what we actually saw this week. So, Adam, what was one team, one player, something that interested you or impressed you in week six? Well, I think I think the most shocking game of this week was definitely the was it the four o'clock game, the four thirty game? Four thirty, maybe. Yeah. On the on the East Coast, the four thirty game uh, between the Green Bay Packers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah. And wow, <laughs> I mean, I I knew that Tampa Bay's defense was good, but they are good, good. Like they might be uh, the best defense in the league after obviously after the Steelers had a pretty injured yeah. week, um, but they they were super impressive. I think that. That 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 um, secondary is one of the most underappreciated secondaries yes. in the league. Uh, Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean have been playing out of their minds. They co- those two combined to allow just four catches on thirteen targets against a Packers team who has had one of the best offenses ever coming into this week. I think that we are seeing something out of this Tampa Bay defense that we weren't expecting at the start of the year, but they are a scary team heading oh, into think- the future. I think everything you said is exactly right. I think you missed one thing, which I'll get to in one second. But um, after week five, like coming into this matchup, we saw the Buccaneers lose in what was pretty much a fluke game to the Chicago Bears, which we'll talk about. We'll talk about the Bears later, actually. That seemed like a fluke game at the time, but we still weren't sure how good they were. Their defense didn't look amazing, and they lost Vita Vea for the season. And the Packers were coming up a bye week in which Devontae Adams finally got healthy, so Aaron Rodgers was actually getting a good receiver back. And it really looked like he was setting up for – Definitely a good matchup, but the Packers looked like they were lining up to really kick into Death Star mode. And like the Death Star, they imploded. Uh, in this game, they averaged negative 0.31 EPA per play. Negative 0.37 passing EPA per play. Like, absolutely god-awful numbers. And I think that you hit on all the parts that, of the Bucks that were impressive, but I think the one part that you miss is how incredibly good Levante David and Devin White were, their linebacking core, just absolutely flying around the field obliterating linemen and not allowing any of the Packers offensive linemen to reach the second level. And because they couldn't reach the second level, their run game just couldn't get going. And it was just, it was a massacre, really. It was bloody. Yeah. And, and Levante David has been one of the best linebackers in the league for the past seven, eight years. And he is also extremely under this entire Bucks defense is super underappreciated. Oh yeah. Like, I think if you, I think if you were talking to like a casual NFL fan, the person that they would probably be most likely to like actually recognize and think is really good on the Bucks defense is most likely the Dominic Sue. And he's like, yeah, he's important, but he's not nowhere near one of their best players. Yeah. And, and he's on the bottom half of his career too. He, he's not the player he used to be. So the fact that this Buccaneers defense is so strong, plus their offense is percolating. They finally got Gronk, Gronk involved. Tampa Bay Buccaneers held Aaron Rodgers to the fourth worst passing grade of his NFL career. He wow. looked, he looked off like mm-hmm. that that is not the Aaron Rodgers we've seen 
for the through the first four or five weeks of this no four weeks because he had the bye. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so this Buccaneers team I think ha- is a serious playoff contender that teams should be worried about. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that what you said about Aaron Rodgers looking off is really important. Because I think that when he looked, he looked hesitant. And that was the thing that we saw all of last season and for most of the season before. And the reason that I and a bunch of other people were really low on him coming into this season is because all of last season, even even though we didn't have a great wide receiving core, he did not look like he trusted any of them except for maybe Devontae Adams. And so even if they were open, he wasn't willing to pull the trigger. He was a couple beats late, and that meant he took more sacks. It meant that he was behind on his throws. That entire offense just couldn't get going. And it looks like he really bought into the Fleur system for the first couple weeks this season, and that's why it really got going and why, as you said, they were a historically efficient offense up until this point. And he looked like the way he did last season again this week. He just was not hitting his reads on time. He looked scared almost in that pocket, which was really interesting because – that offensive line had been far and away the best in the league, both on pass blocking and run blocking all season. And I know that David Bakhtiari went out, but other, they just really fell apart against a very good Buccaneers defensive line, but in a way that was completely unexpected. And it was, yeah, it was bad for Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, and it's important to note, before David Bakhtiari got injured, they yeah. weren't doing too great. No, he absolutely. had already thrown a pick six and an interception that almost went back as a pick six. It was it was pretty ugly. Aaron Rodgers, his total EPA for the game was negative 13.3. And the Buccaneers' average EPA this year allowed is negative 0.15. Wow. So that is it's, – it's the best in the NFL by a good margin. The second best is negative 0.09 by the Pittsburgh Steelers. And it's just it's, – it's, it's on pace to be the fifth best in the last five years. If you had told me coming into the season that the Bucks defense would be one of the top five defenses in the last five years. I wouldn't have believed you. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think we saw all of the flaws with the uh, Packers were exposed. Their defense just, we've been harping on this for weeks, their defense does not look up to snuff. Mike Pettin does not have his defense ready to play against good teams. And they just, when they fall behind, they really can't hold it together. And Ronald Jones ran for 100 or more, hundred plus yards for the third game in a row. So that uh, Buccaneers offensive line is really clicking. And they just got run over once the um, Bucks took the lead. It started at ten nothing for the Packers, and it all fell off a cliff from there. I don't know. Yeah, and 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 we're starting to see like if you're a Packers fan, I'd be pretty worried because they were super efficient against Minnesota, Detroit, New yeah. Orleans, and Atlanta, who are not known for their secondary. I'm not saying I think that Packers offense is still going to be good because the way Aaron Rodgers has played has just been at such a level that he would have probably beaten any team. And I think he can get back to at least close to that level. I don't think that the way he played this week is really going to be his consistent level of play. But that defense, I do not see it getting that much better. The Smith brothers have been relatively ineffective, especially Preston Smith. So Darius has been okay. It's not really working there. And I don't really see that much hope for the defense. And that's where I would be concerned about if I were a Packers fan. So I got, I got one last question to you Go about this game. Yeah. Do you think that this result was more owed to the – Packers offense or the Tampa Bay defense? That's a good question. No, I have to say, I have to say the Buccaneers defense because I don't want to take credit away from them. I think it'd be I think it'd be diminishing what they accomplished and they were incredible. I think it's really hard to say that when they're going in against a quarterback who'd been in state like historic as I said historically efficient going into this week, it's impossible to say that it's entirely on him. I think the vast majority of this was the Buccaneers defense putting him into uncomfortable situations, jumping routes, just really knowing exactly what was going to happen. The linebackers were always there, as we mentioned, and I think you have to give as much credit as possible to them. With a side note in, 
Uh oh, Packers. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a nice life for a, for a Tampa Bay sports fan. They got the Lightnings earlier this year. The Rays are in the final. It's, it's a it's it's looking good for them. Yeah, who would have who would have thought that in the year that Tom Brady comes to Tampa, it is entirely possible for them to win championships in two out of their three sports, and that three that one sport that they didn't <laughs> win is football. Yeah, and they got a Floridian team in the in the NBA final too. That's so they're all over the board. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on to another game because I feel like that was enough on that one. And it should be really interesting to watch both those teams moving forward. Definitely feel good about the Bucs and still feel decent about the Packers. But let's talk for a little while about the Rams and 49ers because I feel like that was a quietly interesting game on Sunday Night Football that maybe wasn't the most exciting because neither team could really score all that much. But I thought it revealed a lot about both teams, less so about the Rams, but in a way that's important. So I'm, I'm going to talk for a little bit, and then I'll let you tell me what you think about what my thought process about this game. What I really saw was two quarterbacks who can't play well if the game flow is against them, if it just isn't optimal, and they're forced to be an actual QB who has to bail their team out of this, like a bad situation. Jared Goff and Jimmy Garoppolo are good NFL quarterbacks. Not great. They're mediocre NFL quarterbacks who are with probably the two best, two out of the three best offensive coaches in the NFL who scheme them into perfect situations for their strengths. Jared Goff is basically only capable of throwing over the middle on crossing routes. And so if he's forced to throw to the numbers and use the whole field, it just doesn't go well. And so in this game, the 49ers took the lead and Jared Goff couldn't play from behind. And so I think if it had flipped, Jimmy Garoppolo wouldn't have been able to play, play from behind. So I feel like that's really just telling us that both teams are in the exact same position in that they really, really need to get the lead to be successful in the game. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, so that, I had a pretty similar reaction to this game. It kind of felt like a grudge match. They're both on the same tier, but on different, like, reasons. It felt like they were canceling each other out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jimmy Garoppolo and Jared Goff, to me, are like this. Yes. Or, sorry, you guys can't see me. I guess. Podcasting is they a visual medium. They are on the same level. <laughs> they are on the same level, and it is – it's – it's not like they're not fun to watch. Yeah. It's just you can kind of you can kind of see what they're gonna do before they do it. Well, it's very much like uh, a, Jimmy, it's very much a puppet master situation. You can see the coaches yeah. pulling the strings as the quarterbacks make their reads. <laughs> and they're just listening. Yeah. They're they're not they're not making decisions of their uh-huh. own. They're just they're just listening to the coach. And and yeah, and it's working. I mean, that was a great game. I I enjoyed it. Darrell Henderson showed up as the number one running back, and I think that's gonna start to be more of a trend this year. Uh, I I mean. Listen, it wasn't the best of games, but I was I was actually I actually enjoyed it. It was better than I thought it was gonna be. Yeah, no, I agree. I don't think it really is that much of a referendum on the Rams. I think that it's just one of those like interdivisional games that happens every year. Same way that the Chiefs lost to the uh, Raiders in that it's like it just happens and I think that they'll be fine. Although it does expose some of the flaws that they have. I was impressed by the 49ers defense and by one player in particular, mostly because I know who this is. Yeah, be. mostly because his story, like we talked about Alex Smith and the most improved player. There's a lot of different players on us who deserve it this year. There are quite a few, and that should be an interesting race. Jason Verre is one of the most incredible stories in recent NFL history. J- Jason Verrett? I, I don't know how to pronounce his name. God dang it. It's definitely not Verre. Okay, okay. I thought it was. I don't know why I thought he was French. Okay, Jason Verrett. <laughs> sure, Jason Verrett. In, in case you don't know his story, he came into the NFL, I think, in 2012 or 2013. He's been in the league for a while at a TCU. He was a high draft pick. He is tiny. He's like five foot nine, but he is one of the most talented cornerbacks in the NFL, has been forever. Unfortunately, he's just dealt with devastating injuries for year after year after year. I was listening to another podcast today, The Athletic Football Show. Definitely recommend it. I think they said that he's played like 26 out of his 105 possible per game, something around that number. So he's just been out for so yeah. much time. 
Sorry, go ahead, Adam. Yeah, I actually have a more specific like background. Yeah, go for it. Here. So, so he showed some promise in a in a limited rookie campaign in 2014. So that's that's when he came into the league with with an 85.1 PFF grade on 223 coverage snaps. And then in year two, he was the league's second highest rated corner. And then he just played four games in the next season due to a torn ACL and would go on to play 67 snaps from 2017 to 2019 due to injuries. And we're finally getting to see a healthy variant, which we haven't seen since he was the second highest rated cornerback in the NFL. And this is, and this is a lot of fun to watch. Obviously, comeback play of the year was already decided like a month ago by, by Alex Smith even being alive. Yeah, I think that they actually need to give it to a real player. I think it's sort of a joke if they actually give it to Smith. And, and if they do, this is the guy that, that they should be I think at. so. So, as we were saying, not only has he come back, because they need him to play because their entire secondary is injured. Richard Sherman's been out pretty much all season. But he's played really well. He had a pick, in the, I think, in the end zone this yeah. past week. Uh, and he, he was just locked down in coverage. And he's really looked like his old self. And I wasn't sure if he'd ever see him on a football field again. So it's really nice to see. It's not only a good story, it's critical for the 49ers moving forward this season. So this And is also, with this season, with literally everyone's knee getting snapped in half, it's nice to see someone who's had that happen come back and play so well. Oh, come on. Why would you say that? I don't even have to near me to knock. Oh, yes. But I got it. Thank you. Thank you. We needed that. I'm not, I'm not, jinx, I'm not jinxing Jason Barrett. It's happened enough. But 49ers defense, after giving up 40-plus points to the Dolphins, has, you know, turned it around. They look good against Lake, a legitimately good Rams offense. Just a nice story, and I think – Very good offensive line. Very good offensive line from the Rams. They played a lot better than I thought. Austin Corbett and David Andrews were getting fried in pass protection, but besides that, they, overall, they, they, were, they, were, they were playing a very well – a very yeah. well-coached offensive line. Yeah, Absolutely. Okay, Adam, anything else you want to add for this game before we move into something else? Uh, no, I, 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 got the, I got to talk about the cornerback. I got to talk about Verrett and the Rams offensive line for a little bit. So, yeah, I think those were the main points of emphasis that I wanted to get across. So, yeah. Okay, great. So, what we have for, I think, the rest of this episode, realistically, is we have three guests. We're bringing back two of our favorite guests, uh, Colin Mastery and Alex Hall, to talk about the Jets. They'll come on in a second. But first, right now, we have a new guest. We have our friend Will Kaiser coming in to talk about the Chicago Bears. And now we bring in our friend Will Kaiser, who is many things. He is an aspiring comedian, and he is, above all, a Bears fan. He's wearing a Bears shirt right now, so it's very clear. Uh, Will, how is it going? How do you feel? I feel pretty great. Sitting at 5-1, Packers got smacked, top of the north, baby. I am hyped. (laughs) <laughs> uh, that five and one is a debatable record but it that's what the stat sheet says uh adam we were just calling the bears what i think the most illegitimate five and one team ever will your response yeah that's the thing we have a tendency to play to our opponents so like against teams like the bucks that's really good because we just beat big teams but then we'll do that to the giants too and we'll almost lose there and that's gonna catch up with us eventually but for now i'm happy with our record I, I cannot deny you that. Adam, you have anything you want to ask him? Yeah, I, as a Falcons fan, I know everything about illegitimate <laughs> records. So I, I, I kind of understand where, where you're sitting at right now. But I'm just a little bit worried about their, their, their big play capability. When you got a wide receiver like Allen Robinson, who, who's that talented, and he's only getting six, seven receptions a game, 
I, you got to be a little bit worried. The Bears are the only team left in the NFL without a passing play of over 40-plus yards. Uh, what do you think about the Bills and, and offensive battles against some of the better offensive teams in the league? Wait, well, before you jump in, Adam, do you mind if I rephrase that question really quickly in something a little bit more concise? Yeah, yeah. Sure. Okay, here's my question. Is Nick Foles a less mobile Mitch Trubisky? Now answer. <laughs> I, I hope not. I will say, having Trubisky as our quarterback for years just dropped my bar so low on what a quarterback should do. Because, like, Nick is throwing for, like, five-yard outs, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And all of my friends he – only, He only put that, like, three feet yeah, behind Allen Robinson instead of ten. He almost, he almost caught that one. That was <laughs> – Yeah, it was almost in bounds. It was, it was almost in bounds. <laughs> That's the thing about Robinson, though, is – I like our receiver core, and I think they will do better with Foles because historically Foles, when he was in Philly and even a little bit with the Rams, he loved just throwing deep shots to receivers. And we haven't seen that as much this year. He's doing a lot more. At all. <laughs> yeah, at yeah. all. He's doing a lot more uh, kind of dink and dunks to running backs, tight ends. And I personally think that's because Matt Nagy was forced to do that with Trubisky because of his limited ability. And I think as the season progresses, Nagy's going to start to open up the playbook a little more and be like, all right, we can take some shots down the field that aren't going to yeah. be picked. So, I, I think that's a really good point. We haven't seen like a lot of the play action uh, that uh, Foles was really good at in Philly. I think he's, they're definitely using it, but I feel like they should be pumping that up. Right now, in the three games that Trubisky has started, the Bears' EPA per play is negative. They're 26 in the league. And... I just think that they have the weapons, at least around Trubisky, to be a better off- – or around Foles. Wow, sorry. Um, to be a better offense than that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just think when you have Allen Robinson, who is the 10th ranked uh, wide receiver according to Pro Football Focus, he is clearly one of the most talented offensive weapons, like, in the league. I think you got to use him on deep routes. Yeah. And he's so quick, and, and they just haven't used him in, to that – like ability yet and when they play other nfc uh offensive powerhouses like the seahawks or uh i don't know the the cardinals as they were playing the cardinals. Last night. no they were playing the cowboys you, just, you, you i'm just saying if you're when you're playing a very good offense you're gonna need to fight offense with offense and i don't think that the bears have that capability yeah that, no, that's, that's another thing i i honestly think it boils down to our inconsistent run game because like the first mm. two games of the season like, we were averaging, I think, nine yards a run or something ridiculous like that. And then the last few, if you watch the games, Montgomery hasn't been able to get back to the line of scrimmage, let alone any positive yardage. And I think once we can get a consistent run game, we can open up that play action, take some more deep shots to Robinson. But I think our, the main weakness for the Bears is the O-line because they're not letting the run game get started at all. Yeah. I don't want to torture you. I don't want to make you talk about, like, the inconsistent offense all day. So – the defense has been actually really good this year, and it was decent last year, but they didn't feel the way they did the year before, which is when they just really had that, like, amazing dream season when they brought in Cleo Mack and everything, like, clicked for them. And I think that they're a lot closer to that level, the, I guess, 2018 level than they were in, than they were in 2019. So what do you think has been the difference here, and how do you think this translates moving forward? Yeah, I think it's just the big play, because if you remember that 2018 season, they it felt like they had a, t- a potential for a turnover and a score on every drive. I think Eddie Jackson had like three pick sixes or something. They were forcing fumbles all the, all over the place. Mac had like four or five forced fumbles on his own. And last year, 
they they weren't letting up a lot of points, but they also weren't taking the ball away that much. Mm-hmm. And this year they brought in Robert Quinn there, and I feel like that's kind of opened up the pass rush. They've got Khalil Mack back. Um, Akeem Hicks is healthy. Yeah. There you go, yeah. So I feel like they're able to get that big play thing where they just rush the quarterback and force them to throw it up. And they've got – they've still got – Kyle Fuller, Eddie Jackson, guys who can go get the ball. And I think that is what's making them kind of return to 2018 form is the potential for like a turnover every drive. I think that, yeah, I think that's actually a great point. And just to expand on that a little bit, the secondary looks really different because one, Kyle Fuller had a fantastic year in 2018. Uh, and then he had a, a really bad year last year. It was not yeah. up to his standards. He's been incon- So he was inconsistent. This year, he looks a lot closer to 2018, same way the entire defense is. And they drafted Adam. I know you really like him too. They drafted Jalen Johnson in the second round, who's been really, really good for a rookie corner. Yeah, I really like the way that the Bears defense is kind of meshing this year. Last year, I think that was the main problem. They didn't look like they had any chemistry at all. It felt like you had the defensive line, the linebackers in the in the secondary, and they're all part of their separate units. And you could kind of see that on the field. The, the communication was off. They were getting easy plays through the middle. But now it kind of feels like a cohesive unit. You see guys like Roquan Smith, um, Eddie Jackson, everyone stepping up and making plays. And that's something that I think they were missing last year. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So my last question for you is, as a Bears fan, what do you think the future of the Bears should be? Because there's a lot of different ways that this can go. One, Ryan Pace, I think his contract is up. Like, he's definitely on the hot seat, their GM. Two, they need to figure out the quarterback future situation. Nick Foles pretty clearly is not it beyond this year. And three, Allen Robinson is a free agent after this season. They're able to franchise tag him for nearly $18 million, but that would be almost 10% of their cap once, like, the COVID, like, crunch hits it and it shrinks. So what do you think they need to do moving forward for them to become, like, a sustainable long-term powerhouse? Yeah, so that's the thing. I have seen – first off, just regarding pace, he gets so much crap as a GM, and rightfully so because that Trubisky pick is probably one of the top ten worst in history. But if you look at the rest of his picks, outside of, like, Kevin White, he's pretty. he's been pretty solid. He got Eddie Jackson in the fourth round, Jalen Johnson in the third round, I think. Uh, second round. Second round. Like late second, though. Late second, yeah, because they got uh, Cole Komet before him. That's right. And yeah. then uh, they had Tariq Cohen in the fourth round. <laughs> I wouldn't call that a good pick. <laughs> well, it's too early. Rookie tight ends never do anything. Yeah, yeah and also ahead, they're we'll trying start. to they're trying to let Jimmy Graham mentor Komet before they give him any real. I mean, and that's the guy you want to mentor your tight end. Yeah. Jimmy Graham's doing great this year. I don't know what you're talking about. It's weird. No, it's actually I said, really weird. No, I was I wasn't being sarcastic. I was genuinely oh. saying that's the guy that you want. To <laughs> oh, I thought you were being tight. sarcastic. Oh, my bad. Adam. To be fair, you've been sarcastic a lot, <laughs> like in the last ten minutes. <laughs> like rightfully yeah. so. Yeah. Jimmy Grant, that's a weird thing. If you look at, like, the teams he was on, when he was on the Packers and Seahawks, neither of those teams are really tight end heavy, and the Saints were. And so if he's in a tight end offense, he's allowed to flourish. I think he's a solid tight end. Not, you know, top ten or anything, but, you know, good enough to at least mentor Komet. He looks like the red zone guy he was back yeah, when he was with the exactly. Saints. Yeah, that, exactly. That one-handed catch was nuts. That was nuts. That was really that was, nice. That was beautiful to watch. Yeah, he's using his box set skills. Yeah. yeah, sorry, keep going with the rest you're, of the You're like every NFL announcer who just keeps bringing up the fact that he played basketball yeah. in high school. <laughs> Do you guys know Jimmy Graham played basketball? Yeah, that's crazy. You can tell by how big he is. 
Yeah, do you guys know that Antonio Gates played basketball in college? Gates. Do you know uh, Patrick Mahomes played baseball? That was crazy. So did <laughs> Kyler Murray. If you, if you didn't so did know. Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson, yeah, it was crazy. And you can see it with the sidearm throws. Yeah, you can see all those sidearm throws. It really looks like a shortstop out there. Uh, back to you, Joe. But, no, there, there are – so, yeah, Pace has made some poor decisions. But, overall, I feel like for every bad decision he's made, he's made a good one. So, I don't think he's as on the hot seat as a lot of people think he is. It, it honestly depends on the season because if they can make a playoff run this year, even if they don't, like, go to the Super Bowl, I think that, you know, They'll, they'll extend pace because his drafting hasn't been that bad. Uh, as for the quarterback of the future, I've seen a lot of things that are saying the Bears should go for Sam Darnold. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. Honestly, that's like, a, that's like a 50-50 because we have no idea what Sam Darnold has to offer. Like we've seen, exactly. we've seen three years of, or two years of him playing football. We have learned nothing about him because of how Adam Oh, absolutely. The problem is that this team has so many good veterans, especially on the defensive side and on the offensive side. Their wide receiver core is pretty good. That I feel like bringing in a guy who you know nothing about is risky, but who else are you going to bring in? Like, unless you're really lucky and Cam Newton wants to go there. Yeah, that's, that's the other thing. Like, a lot, of, a lot of people are saying that Sam Darnold's not the answer. A lot of people are saying he is. It's, it's impossible to tell with the Jets. Because, like, he has flashes of, like, almost like a Big Ben kind of presence at times in the pocket, but then he'll be like rookie Josh Allen and throw like four picks. So I have no idea how Sam Darnold is and not going to lie after years of Trubisky, I kind of don't want to take a huge gamble at quarterback again. Like best case scenario Foles goes nuts and we're like, ah, he's the new Ryan Tannehill, but that's just not going to happen. I feel like what you can do is sort of what the Dolphins did last season where you trade like a late second round pick or you trade a second round pick for Darnold because that's probably what it's going to cost. I don't think he's going to be worth the first round pick. No, he's not going to go first. So you trade a second round pick for for Darnold and then maybe you draft a quarterback. I guess the Dolphins didn't draft a quarterback last year, but they did immediately afterwards. I think that maybe you draft like a mid-round quarterback or if depending on where your draft slot is and like see which one of them develops because you need something. Or or – Josh, you brought this up earlier, how Allen Robinson is going to cost a lot of money. That's trade bait right there. You want to get an early pick? I'm, I'm just saying, maybe. Yeah. But how, how would you do that? Because even if you have one on the franchise tag, you're not – like, nobody's going to trade an early first for Allen Robinson you don't and then think? give him a massive contract. I don't know. I don't Why know. receiver ones are, to... pretty, are pretty, pretty scary. I, I said that, and then I started thinking of DeForest Buckner, and then I find it a little bit harder because – Colts did that, and they I think they're very happy with their game. Yeah, and it's so. working. <laughs> yeah, no, it worked out perfectly for them. The thing about Robinson, this is going to sound weird, but I feel like how we uh, deal with Robinson has a lot to do with how Mooney goes over the next couple, like basically the rest of this year. Because if he proves that he's like a capable deep ball receiver, he's good. Anthony Miller's solid. So I feel like we don't need Robinson as much as we do if Mooney sucks. I, I kind of disagree with that one. I, I don't think that anyone can kind of refill, can yeah. kind of fill those shoes. Allen Robinson is so important to that offense, and he is so incredibly talented. And sure, maybe Mooney can run a couple deep routes. Anthony Miller is good for a slot receiver, but who is that one guy that you can go to and yeah. the Bears need him? Believe me, I want to extend Allen Robinson a ton, but I'm almost looking at this, and Josh, you can definitely attest to this, it's kind of like a Bryce Harper, Juan Soto situation 
Mm. Where like if Mooney goes crazy, like we can let Harper walk for the or let Robinson walk for the good of the team if we have like a set replacement on a smaller rookie contract. That's a lot to put on. What round was Mooney drafted in? I honestly have no idea. Yeah, I, I, I saw him as like a as a deep ball receiver. I didn't really see him as a as a yeah. potential yeah. wide receiver one. See, for your sake, Will, I hope the Bears can keep Robinson. But for Allen Robinson's sake, I really hope he goes somewhere else because oh, yeah. he de- he deserves he a deserves good a good quarterback. He's very much De- he's very much the DeAndre Hopkins of our time. Been like he's like been through the wilderness and he is just waiting for a good quarterback. He's just waiting to get that. Just not even Mahomes. Like, dude, imagine Allen Robinson on like the Seahawks, and how oh, crazy God, that would be. Not even this. Like, not even the Seahawks. Like, literally. Not even not, not Kirk Cousins because they already have some wide receivers. I'm to but see a Kirk Cousins go with this. <laughs> yeah. No, I wasn't sure where I was gonna. Ha- I, I did not have a set plan in my. <laughs> but a Kirk Cousins level quarterback, like literally somebody competent who can put the ball in his catch radius. That's all I want. Yeah. No. Someone like even like Matt Stafford or the, or like the would Bengals. Do wonders for him. Like Joe Burrow. They already have a pretty good receiver core, though. I don't think they're gonna go out and get. I don't know. AJ Green's AJ Green's aging. John Ross AJ is aging, but T. Higgins is their only steady guy right now, and try, and I don't think that they're going to keep Tyler Boyd. Then they're not going to really. I don't. I don't you don't think him. they're going to extend Boyd? Boyd's been solid the past few years. I think they'll keep Boyd, but it doesn't even matter because Boyd is a slot receiver, and Higgins. You're counting on his development. That's great, but AJ Green is a free agent after this year. He's not coming back. He's going to go to like a team that's really well, willing to contend. And Allen Robinson is the sort of big body receiver that Higgins is, but at the same time, like you don't know if Higgins is going to develop into that. Yeah, that would be a fantastic option for the Bengals. Yeah, I don't. What's the Bengals' cap looking like? Do they have enough room for someone like Robinson? Because Burrow's on a rookie contract. <laughs> I would hope so. Yeah, exactly. That would that would be a really bad situation if they didn't. I think so. I, I think, think so. I yeah. think we would have noted that earlier this season if they had a bad cap situation. If they had a bad cap. Yeah. Just the Saints' yeah. cap situation. Is going to be so horrific in a couple of years. The Saints treat the cap as like a theoretical concept. It's like the, it's like the Chiefs. <laughs> they just, let's go pick up Bell. <laughs> yeah, why not? Every team can do it, honestly. And like the smartest teams are the ones who are able to exploit it. So I respect it. But yeah, eventually it might catch up to them. I'm really waiting to see if it happens, but it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I'm waiting to see. They're going to have to dismantle hard in a couple of years because I think their yeah. projected cap was like negative 70 mil or something like that. Like, it was nuts. That was, like, before the contraction. Yeah, it's going to be bad for the Saints. Yeah. All right. Anything else, Adam, that you want to ask before we let Will go? No, I think we've definitely done our fair share of the Bears today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is the most anyone's talked about the Bears in, like, eight years. Or needed to talk about them. Actually, (laughs) more than anyone's needed to talk about them. More than anyone's needed to bring up the Bears. It makes me feel like a combination of, like, queasy, but also, like, sort of curious because there's a chance. Well, Kaiser, thank you so much for joining us. I don't know. I still don't know how I feel about the Bears. Probably about the same as I did coming in. But let's talk about a team that we know exactly how we feel about. Let's bring in Colin and Alex to talk about the New York Jets. Welcome back to Tackling the NFL. And as promised, we are bringing back our two favorite Jets fans. I mean, yeah, God bless them. Colin Mashkuri, Alex Hall, how are you guys surviving? One, college applications two, a global pandemic, and three, worst of all, being New York Jets fans? Well, surviving is probably a strong word. That's true. It's, it's, it's a bad choice for the, for the current day. You yeah. know, no, go ahead, Alex. I was going to say, it's, it's less like 
surviving more like drowning and hanging on to like like a lifeboat like it's it's pretty rough you guys are like out at sea and there's like one plank of wood and yeah that's that's you guys yeah see see but see but they don't have a plank of wood they're just drowning i don't i don't, I don't know what plank of wood you guys are talking about <laughs> it's like the end of titanic but adam gaze is pushing us off the door. yeah yeah there's a, <laughs> adam gaze is the anchor on on the bottom yeah well i was gonna say trevor lawrence is your piece of wood isn't he look the jets issues sam darnold isn't the problem with the yeah. jets and I hate to say it, Adam Gase isn't our only issue either. No. So under this beautiful fantasy land where we tank for Trevor and then fire Gase, yeah. we're still the Jets. I actually completely agree. That gets me actually into my first question. So give, give me one second. So this past week, just to recap for anybody who's stuck their head in the sand, the Jets spent the week, like leading up to this to week six, with constant sniping between their offensive and defensive coaches, just constant back and forth barbs in the press. Then they tried to trade Le'Veon Bell, gave up like 10 hours later, and cut him. His top three teams on his list were the next three teams the Jets were playing. So absolute pettiness. He wanted to face the Jets. Then Adam Gay said, it's irrelevant now when he was asked if he could have used Bell better. It's absolutely not irrelevant. And then they proceeded to be shut out by my Miami Dolphins. So my question is, well, let's go to Alex first, I guess, and then we'll go to Colin. Is there a future for the Jets under Christopher Johnson beyond Adam Gase? Just big picture, like Colin was saying. Uh, definitely not. I mean, we've seen how after Woody Johnson left in what 2016, like this yeah. franchise has gotten somehow even less. Like, I don't know, it's gotten less remark. I mean, it's just terrible now. Like after Woody Johnson left, we we all thought he was a terrible owner, but then Christopher Johnson came in and set the bar even lower. So. I don't know. Until Christopher Johnson gets like stops interfering with the draft process and hiring of um, coaches and lets our GM actually do that, I don't think there's any future for him. And I don't think the Jets can really get much better. He's really holding us back right now. Sometimes I wonder, in the formation of this team, what witch or gypsy we offended? Because something's happening. Something happened, and I don't know what. But I don't think the Jets will ever be a Super Bowl contender. I brought this up uh, before the podcast started, but I'll say it again so everyone can share in this misery. The Jets haven't been to the Super Bowl since we landed on the moon. I want you guys to think about that, and that's all I have to say about that. That was, and that was the third year after the NFL and AFO merged. That, that was, if I'm not mistaken. So, yes. That's correct. Super Bowl three. Namath, Namath sold the sold the team to the devil in '69 for one. <laughs> yeah. So after we're pretty much cursed now. Yeah. No, I I can I can relate. Actually, speaking of relating, I think we we sort of agree that Adam Gase is a massive problem with the team. Maybe not all of it, but as a Dolphins fan, I can probably come as close to relating as anybody else to your struggles because the Dolphins were not a great team. They were very much like a five and seven to seven and five team every year before Adam Gase came in. He took us to the playoffs in one fluke year and then just absolutely drove us into the ground. I don't know. This list it seems very similar. What do you guys think? Well, I mean, we saw that last year our schedule was compl- – like, it was a fluke because our schedule was so easy last year. I mean, we had one of the easiest strength of schedules, and now this year we're, it's basically the opposite, and we're seeing how Adam Gase does under actual competition. So, yeah. 
To be fair, Adam Gase didn't even do well under bad competition. I mean, what was our record last year? Where we were what? Uh, five and eleven, I think. Five and eleven, yeah. I thought we were seven. No, nine. you were seven and nine. That's right. Seven and nine. You're right. Sorry, five and eleven was my yeah. prediction for this year, something like that. Yeah. Set, how optimistic? That just yeah, sounds I know. like a fever dream now. Five, five I know. Wins. I remember. They couldn't even beat the Broncos. <laughs> when you had Alex and I on the podcast last before the season started, at least there was. We knew we were going to suck. But at that point, I was confident that we would win a game <laughs> of football. And I, I can no longer say that. Yeah, we've seen some undefeated teams in our lives. We've seen the, the Browns struggle. In my opinion, Winless teams, not undefeated. Un, yeah, yeah. The winless teams, whatever. Defeated. We've seen some very yeah. defeated teams in our times. We've seen the Browns <laughs> go 0-16. And, and the Jets look way worse than the Browns did when they went 0-16. So here's the thing. I have a theory, and it's not going to be pretty for you guys, but you might just want to, like, keep your TVs off for the rest of the season. It's actually better for the Jets if they keep Adam Gase because I think if they fire Adam Gase, they will accidentally luck into like three wins the way the Falcons did this past week with Raheem Morris. The Falcons are going to win more than three games, but they're going to like win their way. They're going to like accidentally win a couple games just because that's sort of what happens when teams fire like their coach and bring in an interim. Every year it happens. So is it better for them to just stick with Adam Gase and like lose out, guaranteed losing out? I just don't understand where you see the promise in winning three games. Like, where do you see the, the, no, 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 the no, offense? No, no, no promise. No, when, no, I just mean like, oh, when, oh, got where, it. where on this team do you see three wins? I understand Adam Gase is holding them back. I get it. But like, how can a team just turn around and win three games after being this abysmal? Well, the Dolphins. So here's, okay, yeah. Wait, sorry, sorry, Colin, give me one second. Because this sort of relates directly to me, actually. Because the Dolphins last year started 0 7. They tore down their team coming into the season, and they won five out of their last nine games. Any team can do it, really. Sorry, go ahead, Colin. The Jets are the worst team I've ever seen in my lifetime this season. <laughs> that's not exaggeration. That's just a fact. That doesn't mean we can't win a game. I think one of the things that's hurt me so much this year is watching Gase. He does this really cute thing where he calls the same play three times in a row. <laughs> and it's either a run down the middle or it's uh, like an out route on the left sideline. It never works. It's things like that. It's things like that. I'm not saying without Gase we'd be a good team. But I'm saying with a good coach, if you gave us like, say, Andy Reid, we could win a game. So I think Josh is right. We have to keep Gase at this point because best case scenario then, we win one or two. We lose the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. Yeah. And we're cursed to another decade of mediocrity. Like, I think we have to keep him. Yeah, but I, I personally don't think Trevor Lawrence is, is going to be the end of our mediocrity. Like, we've seen how many holes this team has. It's, it's not really fair to compare the Jets to, like, the Falcons or the Texans, teams that fired their head coaches, because those teams are so much more talented than the Jets are. So I think even if you put in an interim coach, yeah, maybe we'll win one or two games. But I think, I think we're still pretty solidly the worst team oh, in the NFL. Easily, easily the worst team. Yeah. Well, easily, easily, by ta- easily talent-wise, there's always teams that luck into those wins. The difference between the Jets and those teams that you just mentioned who also fired their coaches this year is that those teams have zero cap space and they're sort of locked into like mediocrity. The Jets are locked into a terrible team, but because they have cap space, because they have draft picks, 
which they had to trade away Jamal Adams to get, but that's a whole other story. Because they have those things, there is a path to them rebuilding because they actually tore it all the way down to the bottom. The bottom, bottom. And that was the point I was going to bring up. You're right that Trevor Lawrence isn't going to fix much, but the one thing I can hope for is that some coach somewhere is seeing the Jets and seeing them tank for Trevor and saying, wow, this is an entirely blank slate with a really promising young quarterback. Like, yeah. And like you said, an insane amount of cap space because we have no good players. So there's really an opportunity here for someone who knows what they're doing to rebuild this franchise from the ground up. And I hope some poor lost soul sees yeah, the Yeah, and then you got to look at jet, the Jets' management. they got to be willing to give over that power. they got to be willing to, uh, to take someone and let them take the reins. They can't keep holding on to this little piece of hope that they have, and it's not going to take them anywhere. So I, I was listening to, I think it was like the Ringer NFL show. This was over the summer, and they were talking to an NFL eva- evaluator about what are the most important things as a, like a head coach when you're choosing what franchise to go to. And the number one and number two things are you pretty much unanimously the quarterback and the owner. The owner is just so important for the direction of the franchise, even if it's in a quiet way. That's a huge part of why the Browns have been so bad for so long because the Haslam's have interfered so much. Same with the Washington football team. If the Jets can't get the Johnsons out of the way, then yeah, you guys are absolutely right. Even with a good coach and with Trevor Lawrence, which I think can be a really good combo, and I think that there is room for them to grow, they're going to be stuck in this place. Yay. <laughs> Sorry, that was very depressing. <laughs> that was harsh. Oh, Adam, do you have like a happier question you can ask them? Uh, yeah, so you guys have seen, although it's tough to see the little bright spots uh, in, in this team, you've seen players like Jamison Crowder, Makai Becton, Marcus May, Brian Poole, like individual, some individual players have actually turned around their seasons and played pretty well. Um, what do you guys think about them in the future and maybe – helping them helping build around them in in a sort of rebuild yeah so um unfortunately for crowder and uh pool i don't think they're going to be here much longer we've already seen that the jets are trying to have a fire sale already we got rid of um mcclendon yes. dude, that is a couple days ago i think so NFL. he was a huge veteran <laughs> presence yeah, he literally went from the Jets to the team that just absolutely destroyed the Packers. He was literally driving to Tampa Bay the, like, the night <laughs> of the game. He was out of there. So my theory with the McClendon thing is this is almost like a mercy kill. <laughs> He's getting old. They knew he was retiring. They promised his lo- – they, they – excuse me. They rewarded his loyalty by giving him a chance to be on a good team to finish out his time in the league. I think that's what this was. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, but um, to address your question, I think Becton um, has definitely shown a lot of promise. Uh, in the first couple of weeks, he was one of the highest-rated offensive rookies, um, not even just tackles, but rookies in general. So, And he, he just looks dominant out there. But it's ridiculous when you have your coach putting him in, even though he's injured, and that he re-aggravates his injury. Against the and Broncos. So see him anymore, but against the Broncos, exactly. What? Just trying to save his job. And he put Darnold in, too. God, that's just... <laughs> No, see, that is the one downside of Gase, because Gase... That's the one say, downside of Gase? <laughs> well, so here's the problem. No, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Poorly phrased. The main downside of keeping Gase for the rest of the season to guarantee, like, a terrible record is that Gase still thinks he has a chance to save his job, which he doesn't, unless he, like, managed to, like, win, like, half his games going, like, most of their games going forward. So he doesn't have a chance to save his job, but he thinks he does, and so he's going to put in players who shouldn't be in the game, like, actively hurting them, the way we saw with 
Becton and uh, Darnold against the Broncos because he thinks that if he wins that game, he'll save his job, and that can't happen. So, like, Joe Douglas needs to take away his ability to do that if he's going to keep him. Yeah, Gase is, I think, what we call dangerously stupid. Like, <laughs> he's, he's a danger to everyone around him when we let him coach the Jets, and I think that's a really real threat. Yeah, that's very much true. I mean, he's still playing Frank <laughs> Gore, 37-year-old Frank Gore over our rook, like our rookie running back. So it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, uh, man, I, I don't know where to go from here. Adam, do you have anything else before we let them go? There's no bright spots on this team. I, I mean, like, you, you, learn, you, you, you convinced me. Like, even the good players are gone. We, we look at this defense. The, the cornerbacks were giving up easy routes. The defensive line was giving up bigger holes than Sam Ficken's nose. I mean, the entire the, the entire situation was, is such a mess that I I, I I don't know how you guys can be such Jets fans. Our punter's been pretty solid. <laughs> he has been. Yeah, incredible. he's pretty good. He's that was like that was a solid pick. <laughs> he was he's legitimately one of the best college punters in like the past decade at least that's, at Texas A and M. So that's good because we do it a lot. Exactly. I was going to say, Joe Douglas is really good at identifying players who fit needs. Yeah, it really fits our scheme of going three and out every drive. Yeah, if you're always punting, you might as well have the best one. <laughs> exactly. All right, Colin Mashkari, Alex Hall, thank you guys so much for coming on again. I'm sorry for subjecting you to talking about the Jets for another 20 minutes on a perfectly fine Tuesday evening. Always a pleasure, guys. <laughs> Hopefully, when the Jets have secured the number one pick, although it'd be more like them to like drop to number four, we can bring you on in the future and talk about maybe some positive outlook for the Jets. <laughs> Better days are ahead. It's a tough sell, Josh, but we'll be there. It can't really get worse from here. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks again, guys. Yeah. Bye, bud. Bye. Thanks again to Colin and Alex. Hopefully, we don't need to bring them on again because the Jets just aren't worth talking about. Sorry, guys. But we really do appreciate you guys coming on. But... In case you didn't get enough of terrible teams, Adam, did you watch Monday Night Football? I did. I did. I watched both games. I'm guessing that you noticed the Cowboys get blown out of the water? Yeah, I watched the number one team in the NFC East get blown out of the water. Yeah, so watching the number one team in the NFC East getting absolutely demolished by a mediocre Cardinals team really just made you want more NFC East in your life, didn't oh, it? I was craving it. It's like, it's like the NFL knew what I wanted on my Thursday afternoon. I, I love it. So this week we have on Thursday for Thursday Night Football, the NFL has given us, has deigned to give us the Giants and Eagles. us with, you should have started with. Like manna from heaven, like manna from heaven. <laughs> we get the Giants Eagles. Oh my God. I honestly don't know what it is. I have like a morbid fascination with teams whose seasons are just like slowly crumbling around them. And this is the perfect game for me, even though I hopefully don't watch any of it, but I know I'm going to watch all of it. We already talked about the Eagles. I don't want to talk about them again, honestly, but their entire team is injured. I recommend you that you look up, like, the Eagles' depth chart from, like, starting week one into today. Like, 20 out of the 24 players, I think, are injured right now. It's ridiculous, actually, uh, on offense. But instead, somehow, we are going to be watching this on Thursday night. And as we both know, we're probably both going to watch. <laughs> why not? Um, we're hooked. But until then... We will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Tackling the NFL, and we'll see you after week seven.